0: I have problems handling money too. <laughs> Good morning everybody. It's great to be with you. Hope your uh, preparations are going well for a week from today. I was reminded uh, towards the end of the week how important preparation is. I had a conversation earlier um, right after staff meeting Sean Burrow and I talked about maybe uh, going down and seeing the College Station game. Uh, at least we made it, um, in, in Dallas. And so, you know, Christine drove in. Uh, our whole family's here. We thought, we're going to load up the van. We're going to go up to Dallas. We're going to watch the game. And I asked Sean on, on Monday, when is the game? And he said, it's Friday at, 8, at 7 p.m. I thought, okay, great. So Christine... Hurried and rushed, and we piled up the van. We got all the snacks ready to go. We're about to pull out. That's why you got the text when you did, Monty. I'm like, is there 's there some code for this or something like that? We're about to pull out, and I'm thinking, I know it's high school football game, but you know, maybe you can't just walk up and get tickets. I don't know. So we, as David, why don't you look online? He's looking around to buy the tickets, looking around, and of course, some of you know, it was Saturday at 11. <laughs> Fortunately, we found that out before we left, and we came back and enjoyed the evening and didn't drive to Dallas. We're now grateful for that. Again, congratulations to College Station for making it, but that wouldn't have been a pleasant trip, just so you know. Preparations are incredibly important. We were preparing for Christmas spiritually as a community in this beautiful season, the church has recognized for a long time. A fancy word for it is Advent, um, but we understand this is just a biblical word. It's the Latin version of the word that's been in all the passages in Matthew we've looked up up until this moment. Um, the word to come or to arrive or to show up, and we're just preparing our hearts for the God who shows up. That's the way to think about this season. And yes, we are obviously thinking about the God who shows up in uh, the baby uh, that we're going to celebrate a week from now, but we also recognize Advent's all about preparing our hearts for that one who will come back, not as a baby but as the reigning king of the universe and set everything right. And we also recognize That this God keeps showing up. And so we're saying, what does it look like to prepare our hearts for the God that shows up in the world? And one of the ways we did this is this simple symbol. We recognize the incarnation, the come of Jesus in the world is light in a dark place. And so we visualize that in the four weeks leading up to Advent with purple candles, color of royalty. The pink is kind of a turning towards hope and joy and all of that that comes this will be lit, the white candle uh, representing uh, Christ coming into the world. That will be lit in our Christmas Eve service. I invite you to come and celebrate that with us. So we're going to light these. And as we do, I invited you the last couple of weeks, if you're just joining us, I want you to think about some place in your life or in the world that you care about where you, there needs to be some light. And we pray into that. And so let this be a prayer as I'm lighting these candles, and I will give you a moment of silence, and we'll pray some words that have been prayed in this moment for a long time. Where in your heart or in the world around you do you need the light of God to come for God to show up? And let this be a visual prayer for that. Just take a moment of silence. Let that be your prayer. Do you pray into it? What place in your heart, your life, the world that you care about, do you want the light of God to come? And then I will... Lead us in a prayer that is prayed on this day um, for hundreds of years all around the world. Let's pray. Almighty God, purify our conscience by your daily presence so that your Son, Jesus Christ, at His coming, may find in our very lives a fit dwelling prepared for Himself. We pray this through Him who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I'm going to begin by reading the text uh, for today. As you know, if you've been here with us, um, all of our Advent texts are taken from the Book of Matthew, and there's these little snapshots of what it looks like to prepare for the God who shows up. The first week we looked at a text that reminds us of the Second Coming, and then the the subsequent weeks are about characters that show us what it looks like to prepare. For the coming God. In the last couple of weeks, we looked at John the Baptist. Today, we will look at the character of the uh, a human, earthly father of Jesus, uh, Joseph. And next week on Christmas morning, we'll look at Mary. So if you have your, your Bibles, your devices you read on, we are reading in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This will take us to the birth, but a lot of this story is really about the final moments of preparation for that in the life of Joseph. So let's look at this character, Matthew. This is the Gospel of the Lord from Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. want to begin as we get into this text thinking about the question that is on the lips of most people a week before Christmas anytime you're engaging or talking with a child. What is the question you usually ask a child around this time of year? The typical question is, what do you want for Christmas? Let's think about that for a moment. What do you want for Christmas? Now, I know if you're like me, part of me pushes back against this, especially in a church setting to think about this, what do you want for Christmas, reminds me of kind of the consumerism and the selfishness that is surrounded this season too much in our culture. But I want to say if we really kind of think about that, perhaps the question itself will lead us to the point of the whole season of Advent. When it's viewed rightly, it's actually what Advent is all about, because this is a season for hopes and for longing and for dreams, really getting at the core, the depth of what we really long for and hope for. So it's probably not a bad thing to access what it means and what it feels like to want something and to long for something. So just for a moment, I want you to think about sometime in your life when you were a child, was there some Christmas present that you couldn't? wait to get you just long for and you hope for and you wrote Santa about it and you dropped hints around the house about it what what did you want when you were a little child it's funny I told my story which I will in a moment but in in first service Judge Steve Smith came up after and told me his he said 58 years later I still remember the Christmas where what I wanted more than anything else was a mint green Schwinn 10-speed bike and I didn't think I would get it. And I came in on Christmas morning and there was a string. There was a string. There was a thread that was in the middle of the living room. And he followed that string all the way to the garage. And his mom had written this beautiful note. It said, here's where your, you know, your dreams come true or whatever. And he walks in and there was the mint green 10-speed Schwinn bike. 58 years later, he still lights up when he talks about it. Access that longing. What do you remember wanting when you were a kid? Now, don't judge me on this. But I'm telling you, this is what I wanted so much when I was a little kid. I was a Star Trek fan and I wanted the full Star Trek Enterprise action set. Now, this is high-tech, guys. you got to follow this. This is high-tech stuff. Because what what it it looked like is over here, if you've ever seen the shows, any version of it, like they beam places, right? So they're here and they can beam them out. And so this is the high-tech gadget it has on the left. There's that little box. And you put the little action figure in there. And you'd spin it. And you push red. And he's outside. (laughs) And then you spin it. And you push green. And he's back. It was magic. I mean, that's high-tech stuff. It was awesome. By the way, it's very important. I wanted the action figures to do not call them dolls. They are action figures. Very important to recognize it. And I'm telling you, I wanted it. I wanted it so bad. I wrote Santa. I dropped hints. Longing for it. Christmas morning comes up, and we open the gifts. All the gifts from family and friends, all that kind of stuff. All the papers torn, and there's no Star Trek Enterprise. And I'm like, oh. But in good Christmas story fashion, my mom said, you know, that I think there's something over there in the back. And so I dug around, and sure enough, there was one more package to Dean from Santa. Good old Santa. And I tore it open, and it was... The Star Trek Enterprise. I'm telling you, I played with that thing so much their heads fell off. It was awesome. <laughs> and Here's the thing I want you to think about. That sense of longing, what was it for you? Tap into that for a moment. And I know it is so insignificant compared to what we're talking about. But I wonder if this is a little piece, just a little piece of what Jesus is talking about. When he says, if, if you're going to come after me, you're going to follow me. If you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like a little child. In what way? There's probably a lot of ways, but one of the things I think about is this idea of radical dependence and longing. I could not get that. Santa didn't bring it, I wasn't going to get it. If it didn't come from somebody else, I couldn't buy it as a kid. I depended on somebody bigger than me, and I longed for something. I wonder if there's something about tapping into that childlike longing for something that is what this season is all about, and Jesus invites us to think about that as we enter into the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. All right, so as we think about that here, here I, I want to kind of dust off my lawyer skills, and I want to make a case here that I know even in church is going to be hard to convince you of. But let me just say this. I, I want to try to get you to think for a moment that what you really want for Christmas is not all those things you might have put on the list or whatever. What you really want for Christmas, you ready for it, is righteousness. I know I'm in church. This is still going to be a hard case to make. But I want you to think about it what do we mean by this term? I believe what everybody really wants more than anything else is righteousness. What in the world? I, I don't know. Let's think about this. This word that feels like a good stained glass religious word actually has a couple different senses and let's unpack it a little bit. The first sense of the word righteous, it can be translated as justice. Right? out any, any political stuff, I'm not talking about that. What is this sense of righteous is when all is right with the world. When the world is the way the world was intended to be. There is a longing for the world to be right in one way or another. Here's a way to think about it. I believe if you pay attention to it, you will see this longing at every age and stage of life. Let me walk you through just a couple examples of what this might look like. Imagine a five-year-old little boy. His parents take him to a playground, and while they're over there talking to the other parents, the five-year-old goes and climbs up on the swing, and he is just enjoying himself kicking back and forth on the swing, and then something falls out of his pocket. And so he climbs off the swing just a couple inches away from the swing to grab the thing and put it back in his pocket. But what happens in a moment like that, time and time again on playgrounds? Well the bully of the playground does what? He climbs onto the swing instead, and that little one moment of when he looked away. And listen, you don't have to be older than five years old, but that little five-year-old boy is crying out inside of him and something inside of him says, that's not what? It's not right. Now, he won't use this word, but what he wants is righteousness. Well, let's fast forward. Let's imagine a young lady in middle school, maybe at the oldest her freshman year of high school, and what she has done is her entire life has been devoted to one thing, and that is to make the Olympics as a gymnast. And she has trained, and she has worked, and she is prepared in every possible way to the point where she is literally, by all accounts, the best gymnast in the world. And what she wants more than anything else is to display that gift and those talents on the stage of the Olympic Games. Only happens every four years. She's got one shot at that, and she's about a week away from the Olympic trials. And here's the reality in that moment. Everybody knows the trials are just a formality. Because everybody in every nation admits she is the best. Problem is one week away from the trials, she breaks her leg. And as she sits on the bench and watches the television displaying what is going on there, other people might say, well, that's just life. But in her heart and in ours, something inside of her says what? That's not right. And what she wants there is righteousness. Fast forward to near the end of our lives. Every single person in this room, and many of you already have had this experience, you will walk in one day to a hospital room and you will sit next to someone that you love more than life, taking their final breath. And here's the reality. You don't even have to believe in God to know this. Something inside of you in the face of death will cry out with every part of your being, what? This is isn't right death is not the intention for a God who created a world with life and what do you want in a moment like that you want righteousness and I believe at every age and stage of our lives something inside of us is crying out for the world to be set right that's one sense of righteousness the other one is a term that we can translate as justification simpler way to put it If justice is the longing for all things to be right in the world, justification is the longing for all things to be right with the one who made it. (laughs) And again, I would even argue this. You don't even have to believe in God to know that there is something inside every human being that longs to be in harmony and in sync with something bigger than you. Now here we call that God and we worship him as God. But there is a longing to be right, not just with the world being right, but me and the people that I'm around to be in sync with the one who made the world. And so you'll see language like this. This is what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, Seek first what? The kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. That's what we're longing for, is the righteousness of God. And so there is, early in the Sermon on the Mount, the longing for the first kind of righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the world to be right, for justice and righteousness. And then Jesus calling us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount to this. I would argue that what we want more than anything else, it's righteousness. We long for the world to be right, and everything inside of us says, I want me to be the person God created me. I want my community to be in sync with the one who made me. We long for, and that's the gift we want most. Now, why do we do all that for this story? Because it is critical to understand that as we go into these final moments before and leading up to Jesus' birth, if we're going to understand anything about this guy, Joseph, what we need to understand is he already had what we all want he had righteousness. In fact, this is the way it puts it in verse 19, one of the most important verses if you want to unlock the character of Joseph. It says because Joseph her husband was a righteous man. Hebrew word for that was a noun. They would call this a certain person if you elevated to this status, they would call them a sadik. And it's Uh, transliterated this way either a t or an s starting s-a-d-i-q or s-a-d-d-i-q it's been transliterated several different ways sadiq it is the hebrew word for righteous and you got the status of being someone who was a sadiq if you had built your life and your reputation and character to a place where people would look at you and say there is a righteous man there is a righteous woman He built up the reputation of being a Sadiq. And you need to understand this it takes a lifetime to do it. Imagine it this way imagine a business leader who works their way up to the point where one day they are offered the job as a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. That would be a kind of business version of a Sadiq. Jot down several examples of this. Imagine an athlete that had worked their point, their their craft to the point where um, they performed for such a long time that they are elected to the Hall of Fame in whatever their sport is. Or imagine an actor or a musician or an artist getting a lifetime achievement award. Do you get the sense of what a Sadiq is? It is a status that you get, but it takes a lifetime to earn it. And the scripture says before anything else, you need to know that Joseph was a Sadiq. He's a hall of fame Jewish person. And whatever we might think, whether I made the case about being righteous or not, is the most important thing. In their culture, this is what every Jewish guy wanted to be known as a Sadiq. And that's why it's so difficult because he is engaged to be married to Mary. And all of a sudden, the text says she was found to be pregnant. Wonderfully elusive in the way it describes that. Did something happen where he discovers that and he recognizes, it. did she come and tell him? We don't know. But all of a sudden, he has a quandary because he's wrestling as a righteous man with what to do in this moment. And I love, don't rush past this, I love verse 20. It says, while he was considering this, he's wrestling with it. God, in God's wisdom, lets him struggle for a little bit about what it means to be righteous. He lets Joseph wrestle with what righteousness actually looks like. By the way, people of God have been struggling ever since. What does it mean to be righteous? He's wrestling with this. He's struggling with this. And God lets him struggle. But you have to understand, he already had what all of us long for and might not even know. He was a Sadiq, He was a righteous man. And if you think about this, even before the birthday of Jesus, he shops a little bit early. And he gives us a couple Christmas gifts. I want to look at this. What are the Christmas gifts that Joseph gives in the story even before his son is born? Recognizing what he already has. Hear this. The first thing he does is he gives up his rights. He gives up justice in one sense of the word. Why is it this way? Listen, in their culture in their day... In order to be engaged, here engagement is still wrestling through and thinking through and preparing for things. In their day and age, they were chosen, right? So once dad made the call or the family made the call, you're getting married. And so an engagement back there was a betrothal. It was a legal contract. In order to get out of it, it took a divorce. But when this guy who's struggling with what righteousness looks like, when he goes to the law, some of you know this, what would the law tell him to do if his one that he is betrothed to... Is turned out to be pregnant and it's not his. What would the law tell us? Anybody know what the law says? Executor. By a strict reading of the Old Testament law, executor. And one of the most glorious statements of Joseph's character, you don't get much, but a beautiful picture of character, says because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Do you get a beautiful window to his heart? He's a Sadiq, he's a righteous guy. I gotta figure out how to follow the law and get justice to happen, but isn't this glorious? He said, I'm not going to shame this woman, even though I have the right to do it. I love that picture of this guy. He wrestles with how to satisfy justice and righteousness as a Sadiq in a way that still extends mercy. I want you to think about this for a moment. The decisions we make have a ripple effect. Throughout the ages, we talked about, had a whole series talking about that. I love how Bailey gave us an image for our live out portion of our mission statement. That that the choices we make is like a drop in the water and it, it has ripple effects. I want you to think about the ripple effect of Joseph's character here in this moment. Satisfy justice, give up his rights in a way that still preserves mercy extended to another person. Let's think about that ripple effect of this. I want you to fast forward from this moment about 30 years And if you walk through just any typical Middle Eastern town, you might find yourself coming on a place where there was a particular day they were fighting as church people tend to fight sometimes, and they were arguing and fighting about different interpretations of the law and Scripture. And some of the religious leaders of that time thought, I've got a way to trap this guy, Jesus. The son who was born here is now in his 30s, and we get this picture. They're going to trap him because they've got a a sense that the reputation of this guy, Jesus, is he's a pretty merciful guy. So what do they do? They grab a woman who is caught in the act of adultery, drag drag her into the middle of the town, throw her in the middle of the community, and they put her in front of Jesus and say, what does the law require? You, a sadiq? what does the law require for this woman? And everybody knew what the law required. What? Her execution. And Jesus masterfully does something. We could go into the story more in depth later, and we will, but what I love is he... He says, okay, we'll follow the law, let's do it, but you first. And Whichever one of you is without sin, you throw the first rock. And One after another. Isn't it interesting, by the way, the youngest are the least gracious. The youngest last drop their rocks and they leave. Jesus found a way to preserve the vision of the righteousness and justice of the law, but in a way that did not expose this woman to any further disgrace he found a way for mercy here's the question I'd ask you where did Jesus learn how to treat a woman like that where did Jesus learn how to treat a human being in need like that he learned it from his dad and if you ask me by the way which dad are you talking about my answer is yes isn't it glorious that before his son is born Jesus, earthly father, gives us a picture of what his son will do when he dies. Find a way to satisfy justice in a way that extends mercy to everybody. Isn't that awesome? Joseph did that gift to the world by giving up his rights. Second Christmas gift that he gives... Is he gives up his status. He gives up his status and his power. In that culture, in Jewish society, being what he was before this moment, had incredible clout, incredible reputation, and he gives it up in the moment. So you think about what he does here. There's a repetition of of, of verses in verse 20, uh, the statements in verse 20 and verse 24. The angel's command and then his obedience. What does it say? God comes to him and visits him because this is a crazy situation. And he says, don't be afraid to take Mary home. What is he saying? God himself says, I know you're struggling with what righteousness looks like. Let me tell you, and trust me on this, the Holy Spirit's behind it. But let me tell you this, don't be afraid to take her home. In other words, tie your reputation to this woman. For the rest of your life, you're going to tie your reputation you take her home you consummate the deal you are going to be her husband she's going to be your wife and then he goes on to command something else what does he say name him Jesus by the way often in that culture and society the mother named the child go look at Rachel's story thankfully Joseph comes in and rescues Benjamin from being called son of my pain and he changes it to son of my right hand but, but the, the mother usually named the child what's going on here what is, what is God telling him Name the child. It's more than just a naming ceremony. What is he doing in this moment? He is adopting Jesus formally into his family. In other words, what God is telling him, I want you to tie your reputation not just to this woman. You tie your reputation to this boy. And I'm telling you, for the rest of his life, it was. And that's not an insignificant thing in Jewish culture. Let me give you a taste of this. Can play for. You can look this up somewhere if you want to. There's a little playful thing. It's called the Facebook Christmas story. Maybe you've seen this before. Um, and it's a little playful uh, depiction of what would the Christmas story look like if it came out in status reports in social media. Let me, let me give you an example of though. We won't play it. I'll just give you an example here. Uh, picking up in the middle of the story, Joseph um, uh, puts out his status in this way. He types out, Just had a vivid dream. Mary is indeed with child. Friend number one shoots back, wait, you got Mary pregnant? Joseph, no, no, our child has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Friend two, what? (laughs) Joseph writes back, I know it sounds crazy, but an angel told me. Friend number three pipes in. Oh, that's convenient. And then it ends with this, 23 people unfriended Joseph. And we chuckle, but what I'm telling you is it happened because for the rest of his life he tied his reputation to this woman and he tied this reputation to this child and if you read the text of the gospels closely they all treated him as tainted in his reputation when they were attacking Jesus for example some of the leaders would say isn't this Mary's son there's a word for that by the way and I won't say it but they're saying something and they're digging at him when they do that's not Joseph's boy that's Mary's boy When Joseph made the decision to follow the vision of God in a dream, he made the choice to give up his status. Listen to me, can't be more clear than this. i got to say it this way. When Joseph agreed to follow the angel's direction at that moment, he gave up being a Sadiq. In Jewish culture and society, he let go, hear me, of a reputation that took him a lifetime to build. In order to follow God and trust him. And isn't it astounding that in that time and in that moment, he gives up his righteousness. Why? So that the whole world might get it. And he gives up his status so that the entire world might get a status renewed in them. And what's cool, there's so much deep going on here we can't get into. Go read through the book of Matthew and what you will find is throughout the book, Jesus will keep talking about a better righteousness and a higher righteousness. In other words, in this story, God stays with him as he wrestles with what righteousness looks like and he comes back to tell him, it's bigger than you knew. And yet you gave up on Jewish righteousness, but I'm giving you a deeper righteousness. When you tied your reputation to this child... You changed the whole definition of what it means to be a sadiq, Isn't that glorious? So here's, here's my thought. As we wrap this up, here's my thought. Maybe we change the question. Maybe the question isn't so much, what do you want for Christmas? Maybe the real question is, what are you willing to give? What are you willing to give? Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, has modeled what preparation for the incarnation looks like when he's willing to give up status and rights and reputation and whatever so that somebody else might become more. And in the process, he doesn't realize that when he did that, he got back a better righteousness than he gave up in the first place. Isn't that glorious? What are you willing to give up? Think about it this way. You know what part of he gave up? And I think this will really hit a lot of us personally. He gave up the storybook Christmas. Does anybody have difficult Christmases? Right? We all talk about it's wonderful. I just want to honor the fact that some people, Christmas with your family is hard for any number of reasons. It might be loss. It might be dysfunction. I know people that I care deeply about who cannot go home because of the dysfunction of the family. Isn't it? wonderful of god to give us the original christmas story that's a mess that great by the way one writer puts it listen to this in the less than perfect christmas story god does something new and if that's what happened in the first christmas story what about ours If we're willing to give and not just fight and receive, if we give of the gift that we have, if we're willing, here's the thing. If you follow God's calling and prompting, you might be invited just like Joseph did to do something strange and unexpected, entirely trusting that God is behind it. And in the long haul, it changes everything. What are you willing to give in the messiness of all of our Christmas stories? I was thinking about this recently. We had our our Christmas party, and a lot of people do. One of the the things that we love to do around this time of year, people call it different things. We call it white elephant. Have you all had this white elephant Christmas game before, right, where you give around? You can put the slide up right in the thing. so everybody kind of fights over the gift, right? We know what the White Wolf gift exchange is, right? You get a number. And by the way, nobody wants number one. It's one of the few times in your life you don't want to be number one. Why? Because you open your gift and then you sit on it. Other people later, they open a gift and they can either keep it or steal yours. And so there's this wonderful Christian experience of everybody stealing everybody's gift. I remember one time somebody's telling me the story of our daughter, Christine, who uh, had one of these white gift moments and exchanges and they were all going around it, And she started with a really high number, which is awesome. But she noticed there was one other girl that was there that got a gift that she absolutely hated. And my daughter did something. And I say my daughter, our daughter, because this would not be what I would do. Our, what our daughter did is that she got that high number and she used that high number to trade with the girl that hated her gift. And she gave her a really good one. And I was thinking about that one time. I was like, where in the world did she learn that? It's not from dad, let me tell you. One of the things I learned is that uh, my wife has been a teacher for years and years and years, would often do the white elephant game in their classroom. And they would do all the typical ways. And, and she'd make it, you know, even a little spicier because she would bring in like a particularly horrible gift. I remember one year she, gave, she brought in dog food. <laughs> so everybody's was like nobody wants the dog food, but they got it. They're stuck, right? But this is what she always did. She had a secret gift in the back. It was the best of all the others. And she would make a big production of bringing it out and then walking up to the person that got the dog food kind of a gift and say, Oh, by the way, if you're willing, I'll trade you that for this. And they would open it up and everybody would be, Oh, it would be the best for now. Like, Oh, isn't that amazing? Did you catch it? Without even thinking about it, our daughter unconsciously lived out the character of her mother and when i come to the christmas story here in matthew isn't it astounding that unconsciously the one who is righteous and made more righteous by god joseph unconsciously follow this lives out the character of the father of his son <laughs> Isn't that great he unconsciously lives out the heart of the father who is willing to give the greatest gift of all so that other people might be protected from shame and become all that they were intended to be. Isn't that glorious? And that's what we have the opportunity to do, to live our lives in such a way other people become more because we're willing to give. And when we do it, we realize, oh my gosh, we got the greatest gift of all. You know what the greatest compliment you could ever have is? You remind me of your father. Let that be our heart's preparation for Christmas, not just to get stuff. Yeah, have fun with that. But let us give ourselves in such a way that we consciously or unconsciously look like the Father who gave the best gift of all. Father, we thank you so much for modeling what it looks like for us to be prepared for the heart of you coming into the world. I love the classic passage, God, you love this world so much that you gave, you gave. Father, let us step into the image of Joseph here. But more importantly, the image of your son, Jesus, who gave everything so that others might become more. And in the process, you exalted into the highest place. Father, let us step into your vision and your purpose for this season. And we pray this for the glory of your name. In the resurrected name of Christ, we pray.